Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. The Lord be with you. Some years back, a pastor with a flair for the dramatic, I like to really get into his sermons, was delivering a sermon on this timeless text today, the prodigal son. And he was trying to find the right way to drive home the, that special moment in that text that we just read where this wayward son who left on his own is coming down the street, down the road, and he sees him from a long distance off. And so the pastor is expressing that as outwardly as he can, emoting, if you will. And he raises wide his arms like this, and as if this is what the father's going to do. He's going to embrace his son, and he's going to tell his son how he feels. And he's got this ready to speak, and he's about ready to put out his mouth and what he's going to say to the son. And this kid in the front row who is so intently listening to him says, You're grounded. <laughs> Dad, did you ground that boy or what? Yeah. We close out the series a five series, really, on the parables of Lent with this particularly beautiful a parable. It's just amazing. This parable is over 2,000 years old. It's been told, I do not know how many times, it has been preached and taught countless times. Is there any here among you who have not heard the prodigal son? Raise your hand. No? Anybody watching us online, thank you for joining us this morning. If you haven't ever heard it, type that into your chat room. It'd be interesting to find out how many have not heard it. Whether this is your first encounter of this story or whether you have heard it and read about it any number of times, it is one of the most inspirational and edifying stories in the Bible. Like most of Jesus's parables, there's more to the story, though, than what meets the first part when you greet the hearer or the reader. In fact, the initial greeting for this particular parable begins even before Luke's words. It begins in the title, The Prodigal Son. From the very title of the story, we are focused on one son, the son, right? We get to learn a little bit more about that son. But then there's that word prodigal before him, and some people may not have heard that term, what prodigal means. It means to be extremely generous, recklessly extravagant, wastefully extravagant, lavishly abundant. Now put that before this word son, and as you open it up from the outset of the story, Jesus tells us about the youngest son and his desire to have it all. Isn't there, isn't there something out of that song that I always had? I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. That's the world we live in. I want it now, I want to spend it before I even got it. So it comes as no surprise that teachers, preachers like myself, even readers, get, derive their meaning or their understanding of this parable from the very vivid description Jesus gives of the Son not only is burning desire to leave home, but the result of what happens when you get more than you bargain for. If you've never eaten a pig pod, you wouldn't understand that. But Jesus 
tells this story a little bit different. And the story flows a little bit different. We're not about to talk about one son. We're talking about two sons in this parable. Jesus makes that clear right from the start of the story. There was a man who had two sons. And then he proceeds to tell us this parable in two parts. First about the runaway younger son, and then of the older son. And the son's refusal to celebrate his brother's homecoming. Hmm. How many of you have heard the parable given to you or shared with you focused on the one son, the prodigal son? Raise your hand. Is that how you hear it most often? Well, today I want you to challenge you to identify with both sons. And ladies, you can identify as well. It's not just sons. Sisters in Christ, you should take this challenge as well. One son is prodigal, the other son is proud. Jesus often uses stories like the prodigal son to call us to a very personal identification with him because he knows our identity. Looking at the picture that you have in there, Rembrandt, this, thing's, this story so old, even Rembrandt painted a picture on it painted the picture of the return of the prodigal son. You may not know this, but Rembrandt believed himself to be the prodigal son who had come home again and was gently embraced by his father. If you've studied any Shakespeare in your history, you'll know that he found, clearly found, inspiration in both sons from the parable as we watched the two sons of the king in Henry IV. People take what different things from this beautiful parable. They apply it in their daily lives. So I want you to do that to you. Today it's your turn. You take the challenge. If there is someone here or watching who is distant from the Lord, who has turned his back or her back, who has forsaken him or who has wanted it all and spent it all, and is so far from reaching the Father's provision or turning to it, then you are that prodigal. If there's someone here or watching online who's ever hit rock bottom, who's tried everything they can to rise up from the pig pen, but to no avail, then you are the prodigal. If there is someone here who knows what it means to finally understand how stupid I was. To come to my senses and go try to go back home. A person that still believes there's mercy in God even after all that I've done. Then you are the prodigal. To all the prodigals. To all the mercy beggars. Jesus wants you to know that like the father in this parable, he is willing to humiliate himself to receive you back. He's going to embrace you dirty, shoeless, hair gone, smelling like a pig from a pig pen. Just as you are, without one plea. There's nothing you have done that is so evil that Jesus won't forgive you. In fact, Jesus is waiting for you to come back. 
He has suffered for you with a selfless, sacrificial act. You can still go home. He has a celebration plan for you that reaches all the way into the heavens. You were dead, now you are alive. His riches can be yours again, even after your rebellion, even after your next rebellion and the next rebellion. So come home if you are that prodigal. Return to the Lord your God while there is still time. That's the prodigal. There is an older son here, the son who rightly has all the inheritance, the name, the land, which is very important in Jewish families. We sometimes forget that Jesus told this parable not to the disciples, but to the good and pious religious leaders of the day. In fact, Luke, at the start of this chapter, introduces the parables with these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable parable of the prodigal son. So this parable is not only for the prodigal son, it is for the good, the proud, and the upright among us, is it not? Those who have stayed close to the Father. Those who have worked hard and diligently for years for the Father. Those who have stayed home. If there is someone here whose relationship with Jesus has become more a matter of obligation and a grateful love to him, then you are the older son. If there's someone here or online who has been a dutiful member of a church family for so long, they have forgotten the sheer wonder and awe of God and his forgiveness, then you are the older son. If you think you've worked harder, done more, earned more, and should, like the workers who worked 12 hours in the vineyard and yet received only the same pay as the one who worked one, then you are the older son. If all the hard work you've done for the kingdom have left you proud in your faith or resentful, if you are unable to celebrate with the angels a single sinner who repents, then you are the older son. And I would suggest to you that within us, each of us is the older son from time to time in our lives. A scribe or a Pharisee telling us we have won God's favor by our consistent goodness. Oh, we keep the Ten Commandments. Well, just a few minor infractions. But we make up for those by being extra good and extra nice and extra hardworking. It makes us bristle like that Pharisee in the temple when he saw that sinner and tax collector. And he said, God, I thank God I'm not like those others. Like that tax collector. Trying to get in God's good favor. Someone who isn't like us. Doesn't look like us doesn't drive a car like us, doesn't live like we do. We raise our eyebrows. In fact, when somebody we know has their name in the paper for a sin made public, and we say, I thought she was Christian. As if we can be saints and not sinners. 
This is the challenge. Can you identify with one or both sons? The prodigal? Or the proud? Think about which of them might from time to time create an identity crisis within you and with your Lord and Savior who died for you. The story does not end with the sons, though. There is another character in this story, isn't there? There is the father. Can you imagine how hard the father worked in this story to get his firstborn son into the party? How he took insults, bitterness, anger, rage, and what did he do? He still showed love. Can you imagine that? Would we do anything like that? Consider the length to which the father goes for both sons, even the proud one. For this son, too, the father waits, just like he did for the younger son. He waits for this son that waits for the self-righteous to eat with sinners and so to be counted among them, not over them. What kind of father is that? Who, who would do that as a father? This is the prodigal father. This father is extravagant, recklessly, with his love and his mercy. He lavishly pours out his grace in superabundance to two very undeserving sons. He opens his arms wide, sinking to embrace both sons to ground them. Yes, but not to take away their cell phones, not to cancel their room, stay in your room. He does it so they might be grounded in his everlasting love. He wants to ground them in his will for them. He wants to ground them in the return to him and to be with him as a family in eternity. He's the kind of father that doesn't remember the sins of his children. He doesn't require his children to work off their punishment and debt to him. This kind of father spares no mercy, no expense, no love, no amount of himself, even unto death on the cross, to keep his family together. The prodigal father is willing to give up everything, even himself his life for his children with no strings attached when his child returns to him and repents. This prodigal father is always standing by the road near the door at the gate, waiting with open arms wide for his children to return and to be saved. Look again at this painting. Notice this the other day. Both hands embrace this so undeserving son. Notice the son has no hair left. This is the younger son. Notice the eyes of the father are closed. He's in prayer. Thanksgiving. The boy comes home with only one shoe on. He has done so great a disservice to his father that he cannot look at him, only bury his head in the father's robe. Yet his father rejoices in that moment, eyes closed, praying 
for one sheep who was lost has been found. Certainly none of us can identify with the father in this story. We fail even when we try to imitate him. Thankfully, we don't have to, though. We don't have to try to do that. He has already identified with us. Unlike some of his other parables, though, Jesus doesn't give us an answer to this one, does he? Some of the parables we've talked about in the last few weeks, Jesus gives us the answer, so it makes it very easy. He doesn't tell us how the story ends. It ends with an angry son standing outside the party room, right? He leaves it for you and me to chew on, to digest inwardly, to mark, to consider each and every time we hear this blessed story taught or preached. So we don't have an answer to the story, but I will submit to you one Christian's very humbling and haunting conclusion to this story, a story that he not only heard and read, but studied and taught countless times. Because it's not like us not to add a story to the ending, is it? You don't want to get a book and get to the end and not get it. Do you ever, how many of you love to watch the end of a season on a series that you have for TV, and they leave you hanging for six months until the show comes back? Do you like that? You want to know how it ends. Well, this Christian friend of mine said that this is the end. It ends when the older brother finally goes into the party, and once he gets inside, he kills his father. What? How could that even be considered to be an end of the parable? This is what happened in history, though, isn't it? The father in the story, God, Jesus, is killed for the sins of all the sons and daughters of the world. He becomes the son once dead, but now alive again, so that we too, who were once dead in our trespasses, and our sins might live a new life, a life in heaven where he will be waiting, arms open wide to embrace you, not to ground you. Thanks be to God. Amen.